You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. I'm John Teeter of Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, uh, everybody's doing well. And uh, let's see, what have, I, what have I been working on lately? Well, I've been doing reports, which has been really fun for me. I love sitting at a computer. I got some more trail cameras out. Uh, I'm watching a few bucks. I've been driving around with my kids. Not a lot of deer, not a lot of big bucks. I'm a little depressed about that, but uh, as expected, you know, the area's at 100 pretty tough. So, you know, hopefully, you know, that changes. Something great shows up. I've got a couple of deer that I'm looking after, and they're in that four-and-a-half-year-old class range for me. So I just want to share with everybody to say, hey, the struggle is real, and uh, not everybody has the cream of the crop. So, uh, I'd like to share that with everybody. I got Rocky Burris back, SA Farm Management. Rocky did a great job last time. I got a ton of feedback on his. People love listening to the Buck Trap podcast, which I, I thought was great. I love the way he breaks things down and explains things. He's a real practitioner. That's huge for us. You know, having people that really do the implementation work in the field, I think that's a huge plus and bonus to this podcast. So, hey, Rocky, how you doing? Man, I'm doing good. How are you? Good, 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 good. I, uh, you know, I called you and I forgot that we're, we're an hour apart. So uh, the time zone thing sometimes creeps up on me. I, sh- I should I should know we're in different time zones. Uh, uh, it's no big deal, man. No big deal. I just happen to have people over for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you got a, a host of kids at home and you got a baby. So I know it's I know it's busy. So uh, what have you been up to? What's going on? What's up in your world? Man, um, I actually walked another farm this week, and uh, been uh, guys are getting me to put up lock stands, and been running a brush, uh, a mulcher, uh, doing a bunch of food plots, and you know, poor man plots or whatever you want to call them, just small 
small little kill holes and properties and inside the woods right off the main food sources and stuff like that so and access and just just trying to get everybody ready for season because it'll be here before we know it yeah i I hear you and uh, i can totally echo i've been on a few properties recently um you know getting things set up uh josh is getting things set up um, my partner but you know i i tell you I, i went up to my land the other day and i was kicking up deer like rabbits and uh Really happy to see the deer, you know, existing in the areas that I've kind of set them up uh, to, to exist in. And, you know, the plan comes together. It just takes time. So, like, this year-in and year-out maintenance that you do on these clients' properties is really essential. So, it's it's not like the plan is done and the plan, you know, things evolve. And, and of course, that requires more input and effort either from the, the landowner or, in your case, you know, your business. So, you know, pay attention to, it's not a one and done thing. It's a continual evolution. And uh, it's not something to take take for uh, granted once you have a plan starting to, to develop. You know, it, it takes some fine tuning there as well. All right, so I want to, let's get into the topic today. And then this is your topic. I'm just, I'm just going to flow with you and, and contribute as possible. We're going to talk about whitetail biology as it relates to a property plan. And I have no idea what you're going to talk about, so I'm interested to uh, to listen to you. So why don't you kick it off? All right. Well, yeah, I was basically, you know, there's a lot of things that you hear about with white-tailed deer that, that piqued my interest when I started out becoming a habitat specialist. And, and I really started researching the animal I was desiring. And... And one of the biggest ones was, you know, that I I always just thought of a deer as he had to eat and he had to sleep. And, you know, and then you, and when you're younger, you just, you don't, it's almost like you think that you think they live like we do. And then, then you come, come into the whole, we understand they're a four chambered stomach and they're, you know, it's just a different, different type animal. Like they, they're going to feed five times a day and and three of those times a day that are in the daylight and people don't understand i mean people think that deer's nocturnal deer and and all these different things but uh when you really study the white-tailed deer and you realize that you know he's gonna feed five times in 24 hours in most cases and then and three of those are most likely gonna be in the daylight and two of those at night and then you so when you start thinking about that 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 encourages you as a hunter in my eyes to have the proper plan in place so that you can uh take advantage of those three those three feedings and so then i then i started trying to break it down even more i'm like okay so if a deer if a deer can his nose is a thousand times more sensitive than my nose so i know that my access is extremely important because I mean, a thousand times more sensitive. I mean, if I, the whole time I walk into my back, my back set up, everything to the right. If the wind's blowing to the right, everything to the right, deer smell me. So it's just like it's it's your crop dusting that whole property. And so then it start then I start getting the wheels thinking. My access is huge. My because uh, the biology of that deer, he's just not like me. He's so much, he can smell so much better. And then, so, I mean, all these little aspects 
if you were to just try to start hunting a property, it makes it tough to not have a plan. You, you just, you just kind of piled on some, a bunch of really important things. And if you take even it a step further, the, the social biology of deer is another factor in this equation. Social stress in deer is one of those things I don't think is paid much attention to, particularly by the hunter. And that, that is a big component of what I'm thinking a part of the hunting strategy along with how deer interact in the landscape. Um, and what I mean by that is social pressure, and, and I'm getting a little bit left on this, but one of the things I've been paying attention to and trying to preach a little bit is social pressure creates an opportunity to psychologically impact deer. It ends up creating a hormonal imbalance with deer. And you notice in herds that have a lot of social stress, you will not see those physiological features be enhanced, including antlers for that matter. So that's a biology thing that I pay attention to that I think is really critical on top of the things you're talking about. And now when I walk a client property, not to make a joke, but I always say, don't be crop dusted. So you, 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 you yeah. made me start to think more about talking to them in their tone because it, it is so critical of just the amount of scent you disperse in the landscape, the deer's interaction with that and, and how they're impacted by that socially and otherwise. And that's why it kind of brought me to the social biology piece of it. But I wanted to add to, to that point because it's been something that's been on my mind for a while on this podcast. What else, what else is on your mind? What, what else, what else are you thinking about? Well, I mean, with that point, you were just saying, I mean, antler growth, that's something that's very important to a lot of people. Uh, nowadays, it seems like a lot of your people are, how can I maximize their potential? How can I do all these things? And, and like you said, social pressure is one of those, one of those things that you have to pay attention to basically stress um you know we all know that antlers are mostly calcium we all know the different you know the things that are the deer's body can't reach its maximum ability without with you know basically he's going to grow to the to his lowest mineral uh deficiency i guess if you were to say the deer only had you know, you know, calcium, calcium, each level of, of nutrients in the, in the, in the wild, in the habitat, uh, the, the habitat just cannot provide every single thing that that deer needs without you going in and trying to improve it. So, I mean, it's, there's such picky animals. They like the nutrition. That's where these stump, that's why I really like doing these stump, um, mineral stump areas. Yeah. Uh, uh, some areas you can't legally put out minerals and I always like to put out minerals because it, it, it just boosts the deer and basically gives them. Yeah. I understand it takes years and years of them just piling on minerals to really become something because of just the minerals, but it doesn't hurt them. It helps improve their body levels. Then that's a good thing. If you have the food sources late season, they can recover faster. So basically, if you were to say their health is a one to ten scale, 
and you don't have late season food and you don't have that safety and security and and they have high stress and and high social stress and every all this different pressures are on these deer at the end of winter and end of season everything's over they're at a level three now they have to recover to a level five and say basically at a level five is average and that's when you start seeing good growth in the rack well it takes them however long your habitat takes them to get them to the level five before they even start the good growth of every of their body and have extra nutrition to go to rack growth well if you can keep them from ever getting below a five because your habitat is so great, your plant is so great, your food is so great, your water, your stress, all these different elements. Now you're talking about the deer when they reach the end of their growing season, they didn't just make it to a seven, they made it to the nine or a 10. Now you're seeing the maximum potential that animal can put out and you're not seeing 15, 20% less in in it, uh, what he could actually be. So, I mean, all those biology steps or whatever you want to say when it comes to learning how that deer has to reach that level, all those things have to be planned out. You can't just go randomly throw food here, randomly throw the bedding here, and randomly throw access here. And now you've you're running right through the bedding area to get to the back stand because that's a pretty spot and. All these things apply the stress and, and I mean, all these different things affect the rat growth. And I mean, I can't say enough about access. I mean, we've, we've gone on a couple of our podcasts together. We've talked about it a lot, but I mean that even the crop dusting idea, I mean, it basically is so huge that if you can get in and get out and they never know you're hunting, you can start seeing some huge results, but that has to be planned out. That can't be, you can't just say, hey, Saturday, I'm free. My wife has the kids. Let's go. We're going to have a work weekend, and we're going to go and just randomly throw some minerals on the ground over here, and we're going to stand up a few stands on a hilltop on a ridge over here because it's pretty, you know, and all. that's what, I, I mean, people are doing it every day, and I, and they're missing out on the luxury of having a property planned out using the deer's the biology of that deer as a weakness and learning and knowing that deer inside and out knowing his eyesight is a big is a big difference knowing what colors he can see and how they see the blue is like you know 10 times more than we can see blues and different things like that. So when you're wearing blue jeans, you're like wearing neon blue jeans. You know, people don't, people aren't understanding that all these different things, you know, they don't, don't want to wear orange. So they go grab their, you know, blue jeans and stuff and walk to the stand and, and hide their orange. When that, when the deer see that as a gray, they don't even understand that, you know, or it's just a lot to, to take in that people should start thinking about and and planning for these properties and it would help them so much more because I, I do it on the properties of course i'm sure you do on the people that you deal with we we build plans and we build these ideas of that property and how we would access it how we would hunt it how we would feed deer you don't want to feed deer in the summer at the front of the property and try to hunt the back so like I've tried to even plant food plots 
if all your properties around there are agriculture and they got they're going to be the best that that farmer can grow so you really don't want to compete with that you know so the, why would you plant beans when there's a 20 acre bean field next door that's feeding them that actually gets fertilized and sprayed and done properly <laughs> so i, I don't want to take you're going to give your deer less nutrition by you planting it so what i do is i try to think how can i provide what the neighboring properties don't have and actually improve what the deer needs by knowing his biology and what what that deer needs nutrition wise rocky in that example um you know, where, where neighbors, you know, producing, you know, a, a lush field of soybeans and, and it's, it's, a, it's massive area. What do you recommend on a client's property in, in that instance um, to, to compete maybe, maybe for interest to, to continue to bolster interest throughout the summer months. So deer are resident on the property. They're, they're paying attention to the improvements and changes. What, what are some things that you're recommending? So uh, it, if it is an agriculture property next door or say you have agriculture, whichever you have to, you have to bank on when are you going to be hunting? And that's going to be during the fall. And usually that's during the harvest. So now you have crops that all summer kept those deer healthy, kept those deer in high nutrition. But now at the beginning of fall, when things are about to start for you, you have to go in and do what what's going to be missing. You have to think about, okay, halfway through bow season, all the crops are coming out, you know. So I'm going to plant radishes, uh, anything that turnips, I mean, anything that can preferably, like radishes are great for October, chicory is great for October, clover, of course, is really thumping about that time. Those crops right there will be the green that they go to after the bean fields all hit maturity. And if you can provide that now and make sure that is as nutritious as possible, now you you haven't taken away from their summer nutrition during the growing season. You have let all that happen with the best that they could have in that area, in that farmer's field that he, he literally just gives them the highest protein he can. And then they jump right into your fall, you know, mid, early fall season plots that have that kind of stuff. And I, I will always have like corn. I love corn because of the fact that the carbohydrates and the deer need it. They need the energy and it's a high stress time of year during the rut and pre-rut. I mean, they, they burn a ton of energy, lose a lot of weight. Some of the bucks will lose 30% of their body weight. So when you when you're talking about that, you have to have they have to have the energy to do it for one thing. So that's where corn. I really like the corn. Corn's a huge draw, and it's not that great of nutrition. So what I normally try to do is put something under my corn that they can bounce to, especially when there's you know if you have a big freeze, there's no water, then they'll go to the green. If you got wheat and all that, they'll get their moisture from the green plants. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it's and people don't really think about those things. They think, well, it's freezing cold. I'm going to go my hunt my cornfield. It's just a cornfield. Well, you might you'll probably see deer on it, but nutrition wise, they really need the moisture and the you know what I mean. So I try to mix everything in one one area. I don't I don't leave cards on the table. So if I have an area I set up to hunt, 
most likely, if it's big enough, I will be looking at radishes and clover and chicory and corn. Or if I don't have beans anywhere around, and I'll try to put some beans in it if I can. But, I mean, I try to have a, a not a mono plot. I mean, I barely ever plant mono plots. It's more of a diverse. They'll, they'll hit it in October. They'll hit it in November. They'll hit it in January. You know, they'll hit it at all times of the year in that same setup because I put so much into the plan and so much into that one setup. I don't want to not want, not think it's time to hunt. Like I want it to be huntable most of the season. And if it can be designed that way, that's how I'll design it. Yeah. And I want to bring up an interesting point is something that I've recognized and we're talking about late season. Uh, We're talking about food sources and in the North, I have a tendency to, kind of promote very similar where you corn is king for us we use we do get snow load so obviously the height of the corn is is critical um, where beans kind of fall by the wayside because of the snow load but deer are, are you know they're opportunists right they're gonna find if there's food they'll find it they'll dig they dig i mean i've got them in my backyard all the time you know in those winter months and they're just digging and digging and digging and digging it takes a lot of energy to get to the ground i mean one thing you could do is a landowner is going and I've seen guys do this. I've done this personally, go on my tractor and clear out all those food plots. So if there's, you know, some type of greenery in there, whether it's a brassica or, you know, um, a winter wheat or winter rye, which, you know, winter rye, I think, I think a bag of winter rye right now in, in my area, I think I'm paying $21 for a certified bag. It's not expensive. And, and, you know, that can plant about an acre. You can broadcast it. You know, the other thing I really, I want to point out to a lot of people is, you know, these really simple food sources can be just be broadcasted like winter rye or wheat that can just be broadcasted on the ground at that point in time you know in in that like late august early september period and it's it's at the stage where it's it's protein content is so great um the other thing i will mention is i'm really because i'm in the northern latitude i'm really focused on woody material so any type of woody browse um shrub tips those type of things at the deer's height and level is critical so pay attention to what deer are browsing on. Um, they'll browse on all sorts of lichen and any type of uh, decomposables. And they're digging like they, they, a lot of times they'll dig down deep for small sprouts. Um, there's a lot of like young uh, ephoral like uh, sprouting plants that are uh, covered up by leaves. So pay attention to all these things. And the other thing is in the environments trying to get that maximum level of nutrition to Rocky's point earlier, if you've got a property that produces, um, you know, a food source at a level five and really they, they should have a six or a seven to get them in that nutritional state for the next season, because nothing's going to be perfect, you know, start to understand what you're lacking on your landscape. In my areas, we'll have a tendency to clear cut a bunch of areas and then they just let it grow. And then once it hits six, seven years, that clear cut is useless to the deer um, that's the one thing that bothers me. And the hinge cutting piece of it is another problem where guys go in and they'll hinge cut a bunch of trees. It'll be limited access. Um, and then they think, well, there's, there's brows on that and that, that limb there. There absolutely is brows. But if you sit there and do like a, uh, a study and, and, and measure the amount of brows from just a shrub, one shrub will outcompete um, five to 10 or even 20 trees that are hinge cut from the volume of brows that are on that potentially depends on the age of those trees, the species, et cetera. But, you know, comparatively one shrub could out compete five, six, seven, you know, 10 trees that are hinge cut for that matter. So, you know, pay attention to the edible, not edible plants. And I probably should do a podcast on edible 
uh, food and non-edible food now that, that now that you brought it up. All right, one point I got to pile on to this because something I've paid attention to. You brought up a point earlier about the deer's body mass going down, and well, I think we were focused on bucks, right? Dropping 10, yeah. 20, 30%. All right, this is, right. What I, this is what I'm finding. Bucks have a tendency to emplace themselves in areas that are very isolated. They have a tendency to stay in isolated areas a lot longer than does. It, it tends to have, a uh, coincidentally, it tends to a lot of times overlap predator zones. And what you'll notice late season, and this is in the northern ter- you know, northern areas like where I am, uh, and it may apply to the south too, but in the areas that I am, I see a higher rate of kill by predators uh, in those circumstances. So, And it's specific to adult males because they're worn down. They've bred all season. They've lost a lot of weight. Their, you know, their, their physiological status is declined, and they get predated on at a higher rate. So it's very important to Rocky's point is to think about the nutritional demands of these deer later in the season. Um, they're going to be calcium deficient, right? Because of the antler development, they're going to be they're going to need more macro and micronutrients. So producing a variety of plants, brassicas, you know, legumes, you know, um, you know, any type of broadleaf that that's still green that has green. Um, and, and these some of these grasses we talked about earlier, you know, winter wine, wheat, that, that'll be very helpful to your deer herd. And you can do it pretty inexpensively. Just want to add on to you, Rocky, because I think you brought up a yeah. ton of really good points there. Keep going, man. Keep going, because you're, you're, you're going with us. Well, I mean, I just, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I mean, that we don't, we don't see the adult bucks uh, being taken down as much as maybe what you do, because I would imagine, you know, if you're in the, the extreme snows and different cold weather, I mean, we just don't see it because we're in the South. So, I mean, we get lucky to see two snows in a whole season and they're gone within three days. Yeah. So, yeah. um, it, we're talking when it comes to us, we're just seeing, the level of the deer really decreasing on properties that, I mean, it's a lot of farm ag farms. I mean, the, the farmer's equipment is just getting so much better and so much better. And they're, they're buying the best. They're trying to get every seed, every kernel they're harvesting earlier and earlier and planting earlier. And earlier. So, I mean, all this stuff is, is getting swiped away from the deer. And if you don't have a plan for that, if you don't have a plan for your deer herd, you're they're struggling. I mean, they're literally going to be nibbling on the winter grasses that are lip high in the middle in those in those fields that have been completely devastated with food because I mean the crop the combines are just so great. So I mean, I have farmers that don't have good combines, and I love them <laughs> because they leave lots of food for my deer. But the ones that do have the best of the best. I have to talk to them and I have to, and this is something some people you might want to have to start incorporating, but this all needs to be part of your plan too, is you can't just randomly leave food and then it, it could hurt you more than it helps you. So you have to really plan out, Hey, I want to leave an acre over here, two acres over here, and then I'll pay the farmer, whatever you're going to get for your crop this year. That's what I'll pay you to leave it in the field for me. And that's what we end up having to do to provide f- food throughout the season and, and hopefully it lasts till late season 
because uh and then you know as a crops if i'm talking ag country because we got we have a lot of it around me in the south here and you know, if you could talk to farmers and say, hey, when your beans start yellowing, do you mind that I broadcast? Like you were talking, you could broadcast seeds right through those beans that are standing. And they're, once the leaves start turning yellow, it's it's a week later and they're gone. And now you have raw dirt that they've kept, you know, shaded out. So now you have a perfect food plot field already prepped, ready for seed. So if you just broadcast the seed through those standing beans, when they pick the beans, all they do is leave your food plot behind. So I do that. I do, we it, they have great success with that, and and it actually helps with weed suppression and everything for the farmers. So they they encourage it. They like it. It brings up nitrogen and everything from the soils, and uh, depending on what they had planted. So um, a lot of a lot of different tricks that you can do, but. I keep jumping back to the plan, but my biggest thing is, of course, that's what I like to do is plan everything out. I mean, you wouldn't go across and try to have any kind of business without a plan. You can't just randomly go to work every once in a while. (laughs) You have to have a plan and you have to go to work every day. And I'm not saying you have to go to work on a farm every day, but you have to have it in your mindset. This is what this is where the goals we're going to have and this is where we're going to get. And it'll help you find success. I mean, people are finding success year after year after year where they had gone five, ten years and never even seen a shooter buck, you know. And it just changes the game, and it almost makes it to a, a point easy. But it's it's really not. It's just you've got <laughs> you've gotten it figured out. I mean, once you have it figured out, the deer basically that's part of this trap deal. I mean, once you've designed the plan, it becomes a giant trap. And when those deer enter your property, they have entered your trap that you planned and designed and did. So now they're out of their element. They're out of their survival. How they live, they have fallen into this trap that you built, and you know exactly how to get in the trap and get out. They don't. So they get up in, yeah. intertwined into your trap to where you're seeing them when you need to see them. You know, they never know you're hunting them. And cameras and all that stuff are just hammering you with data for next year's hunting. And that's, you know, a lot of people may not understand all that. But, I mean, a deer's biological makeup is to be a creature of habit in a sense too he doesn't have a clock and doesn't know how to read it and all that like we do but they do have patterns when it comes to i mean every every maturity year could be different there's no doubt in that but there is patterns as they get older those patterns are even more and more visible and it's all becomes weaknesses and and those trail cameras you know each year should be giving you the data that you need just like when the does drop fawns 202 days before she was bred there you go now you know the day she was bred and you know that week before she was most likely run around and locked down so i mean that gives you your rut on that property and if she lives on one of your food sources either rather it be a a hinge cut area or or uh, anything. I mean, wherever she lives, if she, if you see her pattern, and most of the time does have the same pattern throughout the whole season, they don't change like these bucks do. Well, if you once you figure her out, 
And now you know when she's bred. I mean, why would you not write that date down? And that for that area. And if you've set it up, if you planned it out and built this trap or built this way to get in and out and use this area, and you know she's in it, why would you not write that down? And and if you one of your shooter bucks happens to show up in that area, why would you not hunt her? You know she's gonna be right right when you're there <laughs> so you know it's you're gonna improve your chances dramatically you know there's a lot of things that i'm thinking about while you're talking i'm thinking about the influence of food and the influence of food across the landscape you know i, I i've i've got this strategy that's been very consistent i typically when i have a food plot i always have a perennial food plot a part of an annual food plot there's a balancing I, i've got you know, these multifaceted food plot options for deer. The reason I bring that up is because the more we can regulate their movement, the more we can be consistent, um, to your point earlier, the more their, their, their habits are more predictable, their behaviors are more predictable. When we start increasing deer populations, and I talked about the social factors and the, the stress related to that, um, hormonal impacts, all those things play into, you know, what's your hunting going to be like? If, for example, you don't have a, a cohort of a, a older age class of deer, your, your rut, it'll be somewhat distracting. I've hunted areas that have, you know, very young buck populations. They don't have three or four year old deer. And there's a lot of sporadicness of those uh, ruts the deer move at, at uh, irritable rates or um, unpredictable rates the areas that the deer occupy become very dispersed so the concentration of movement um, isn't the same when you have those really good habitat types that are more preferential the other thing i was thinking about i don't know why i was thinking about this but the biosocial factors and this would be like one of the things that i pay attention to how do i get bucks on camera now a lot of people want to do, well, those environments that the bucks tend to be in tend to be a little more airless, a little cooler. Sometimes they're higher in elevation because those are cooler areas, tend to have a lot of canopy. The density of cover is not the same as it is in the fall months. And you're in those cases, you're paying attention to the caliber of deer that you're looking at, the specific, you know, cohort and, and relative age class of those deer that kind of all plays in your strategy on these these bigger properties and so it's like you're kind of having a plan going forward looking at you know what the deer herd is like looking at what the individual deer are doing at that time of year and it changes all the time and, and through the rut period it's going to be different than the pre-rut period it's going to be different than the you know the summer months and a lot of times I'm just trying to inventory and understanding how and why they're using the landscape. And to that point, when you start to dig into that, into that information, you start to learn a lot more about how you want to set up and design, you know, kind of a hunting property. The other thing I've hunted areas that really have like really high, well, not high, but they're the one-to-one -one or one-to-two buck-to-doe ratios. And, and those areas where I've hunted there is really, really intense ruts. They're short-lived in the north, but there's a ton of movement. A lot of times it's concentrated. You'll uh, you'll see kind of a nuclei of deer and you'll see a lot of those type of like environments where, you know, there's 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 a lot more fighting. It seems to be a little bit more territorial. So your whole experience in your hunting environment will be unique to your circumstance. And you can't change, you know, unless you have this ginormous property, you can't change a lot of these factors. 
but you can create a lot of interest. And that's that's really kind of what we're talking about in this equation. You're creating uh, variable interest, food at the right time, based on the, the bean example earlier. And in my example, having you know the right amount of food and food that's very consistent, maybe in some instances, to create that consistency in, in their movement and in their interest and in their flow, et cetera, in the landscape. But all these other little factors that go into the kind of the social herd dynamics are the things that I really cue in and pay attention to because that really makes a difference in how I attack deer. I'm not probably don't want to get into that in this podcast, but when I go after deer, I'm actually thinking of the social factors and how they interrelate to the deer that I'm familiar with on my landscape that are there very frequently. I don't think anybody's really ever even talked about that on any podcast, Rocky. And I bring this up because like, it's unique to my style, my system. I'm not paying attention to some red moon. I know a lot of guys do that, but I am paying attention to how the deer interact. And that's meaningful because you can tell like when a doe is likely an estrus, uh, by the way, she, you know, uh, moves away from her, you know, maternal group and how she segregates herself. I mean, you can see elements of how they socialize and not socialize and maybe, you know, when she's ready to be bred. And, and that's an indicator, small, small little things that, that play into kind of my decisions to go after or to hunt a particular area. I piled on there. Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the biology of the deer. You're yeah. like, you're just paying attention to that deer and how they live and how they act and how they, I mean, that's why this is so important. That's why I wanted to kind of bring it up is that is extremely important to understand the animal inside and out. I mean, if from, from its eyesight to its, to its food, to, I mean, four chambers, stomach, basically ruminants or they're, you know, they're basically regurgitating and chewing their food to get every ounce of every nutrition they can get because they're eating tons and tons of of forward forbs and woody stem brows 80 percent of their diet i mean all these different things are weaknesses really i mean and people don't like you were saying earlier the brows and the brush and the even the hinge cuts and the, the stump sprouts and all these different things are food sources and focused on how 80 percent of their diet is woody stem brows and forbs and how three times out of the five will be in the daylight when they do their feeding. I mean, those things all stack for you to not be on those food plots, to not be on those big agriculture fields, staring at huge fields and wondering why you hadn't shot the big deer yet. Because those all would be, I mean, you're hunting probably the 3% of movement instead of the 98% of the movement. So, I mean, that's all, that all comes to understanding that, that animal, in my opinion. And that's, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing to understand, but you really don't have to hunt these fields as, as much as people do the food plots and all these things. Cause I mean, if you were to, break it down he's going to be in that food plot a big mature buck is in those food plots two or three times a year on high pressure areas that's about it and you have to nail those spots you know what i mean where if you were hunting the bedding areas or you're building traps in like bedding areas and different places like that there's just so hard to get in the access is so important if you can't get in there and get out of there 
and and basically tell the deer to never go in the area that you're coming in and out, then yeah, I mean it makes it very difficult to kill a really mature deer. But when you can figure those out, it's almost easy. Like I was saying earlier, I mean I I do I feel like it. Like I, every year I feel like everybody jokes around. Well, how many are you gonna kill this year? Because they they know I have these little honey holes is what I call them. Because once I've built it and it's worked, it's just like it's. I'm just waiting on him. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to, I'm just waiting. I got dates written down when the, when that doe, those two or three does are using those bedding areas that live in those bedding areas a lot. They're not just staying in that bedding area, but they use it a lot during the season, especially during the rut. They get pushed into those areas and I, I pay attention to that. I've got those dates written down. And if I have a buck on that farm, that's a shooter and he ever shows up anywhere close to those dates, I'm coming. You know, and and I'll probably get him because I I've just fig- once you figure it out, once you've built the plan and and done all the work, then it's just waiting for everything to fill itself out. Yeah, I mean, and your success, you know, over these years is is kind of proven the fact that you you do it in you know year in and year out, and uh, you can't deny that level of success. So you know, clearly your plan and the way you operate and your systems because it's all system based works. All right, man, anything else you want to end with or anything you think is pertinent to, to the, the listenership? Oh uh, man, I could talk for days about deer, but I mean, I, I wish there was, you know, a way to get questions in and you could keep going and really hit marks that people are, are wondering about. But, you know, I, I just, I can't express enough about how, how how important it is to try to plan out your property to to find success. To don't just go in there and build bedding areas areas randomly. Put out minerals. I know some people that do this and that have done it recently and I'm not trying to shoot at them, but just put it just to get pictures and or go hinge cut this or sh- cut a trail here for that. I always think it's super important to have a plan of where you you want your deer and where you need to be and, and using the terrain and using the features that you have to, uh, to find weaknesses and ways in and out. And then once you do that and you say, okay, I'm pretty much forced. I got to go in here. I got to come out there and I got to go in here and I got to go out there once you find those spots, then you try to steer your deer away from those spots. You find the stand spot. You find exactly where you want your stand, and then you design the habitat. You design the food. You design – you don't just start because there's an opening, because there's this. You know what I mean? I mean, you just really have to think it through and plan it out, and and you'll find way more success than just going out and saying, hey, I got 45 food plots to plant. And then you don't know which one of those 45 plots he's going to be in. Uh, It just kind of amazes me that some big properties, that's what they do. They just, they would rather tell you how many food plots they have and instead of tell me how many big deer they've had success with. So Yeah, no, that's a great way to end it because I think that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, where's your success in line? It, it, it does in line in the harvest. Uh, for those that don't have high success rates, that's a different issue. But seeing deer, 
you know, that's just as good for a lot of people and, and seeing the caliber deer that you're hoping for in your landscape. And, uh, you know, don't, don't take a blind eye to that. If you're not finding success and you're not achieving the things you want to achieve, make a change, you know, think outside the box, start to come up with a plan, a different plan or hire somebody for that matter. You know, use your resources. I mean, obviously this is a resource for you and we're resources giving information, but leverage that, you know, it, it would just save you so much angst and, uh, you know, delayed effort because a lot of people spend a lot of time working on their properties. And I come in and say, this is all wrong. I mean, we talked about earlier biosocial factors, right? Probably people are like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, when you start thinking about how deer interact and, you know, they may need segregation, they may need escape cover, they may need, you know, back cover, they may need certain food sources, a certain time, all that is meaningful in the layout. That is a component that is a part of an overall chain, you know, strategy, but there's so many different small things you can hit on and a bedding area is like, this is a bedding area. And I keep going onto properties and be like, look at this bedding area that I've created. It's a lot of times it's, it's too dense. It's too dense for the time of year that they're going to be hunting those areas or adjacent to those areas. They're not creating the right environment. And if you're not creating the right environment, you're not going to find success. And hopefully people kind of hold on to that point because I think Rocky's idea of planning for the future, planning for success, that's all meaningful. And you need to take the time to do that. Um, I did the podcast recently about empowerment and vision and, you know, very deer focused empowerment, very vision focused. Those are the things that you need to hold on to when you're coming up with a real strategy. So Rocky, thanks for being on this, man. I appreciate it. I love putting my nose in your business and listening to what you have to say and adding to it. Cause I think you're one of these guys that you're in and you're out kills your clients kill. And it's just impressive to see your levels of success on a small land. You don't have ginormous properties that you're hunting personally. And everyone's like Rocky Burris has got these hunting holes, like you said earlier, and he's killing these deer on small acreage. And that, that says a lot about you. So, you know, thanks for sharing all you do. You bet, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Talk soon. All right. See Bye. you. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.